Turn with me tonight in your Bible to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 24. We're going to commence reading at verse 1, and we're going to read all the way down at least to verse 18. Second Chronicles chapter 24, and we'll read from verse 1. Let's hear the word of God reading as we have said before, and repeat again for emphasis. We're reading from the authorized version. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Zebiah of Beersheba. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And Jehoiada took for him two wives. He begat sons and daughters. And it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. And he gathered together the priests and the Levites and said unto them, Go out into the cities of Judah and gather of all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year. See that ye hasten the matter. Howbeit the Levites hastened it not. And the king called for Jehoiada the chief and said unto him, Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem, the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the congregation of Israel, for the tabernacle of witness. For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken up the house of God, and also all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord did they bestow unto Balaam. And at the king's commandment they made a chest, and set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring into the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in, and cast into the chest until they had made an end. Now it came to pass that at what time the chest was brought unto the king's office by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, the king's scribe and the high priest's officer came and emptied the chest and took it and carried it to his place again. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. And the king and Jehoiada gave it to such as did the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord, and also such as wrought iron and brass to mend the house of the Lord. So the workmen wrought, and the work was perfected by them, and they set the house of God in a state and strengthened it. And when they had finished it, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, whereof were made vessels for the house of the Lord, even vessels to minister and to offer withal, and spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually 
all the days of Jehoiada. But Jehoiada waxed old, was full of days when he died. And 130 years old was he when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and toward his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah, and made obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them. And they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers, and served groves and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. We'll end the reading there at verse 18. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text tonight is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 verses 1 to 4 that I'm not going to reread in your presence and I want us to link it up with verses 15 right through to verse 17. My theme this evening I've entitled A Good Boy Turned Bad. Now I have borrowed the title came across the title on the internet. Pastor Cole in the United States of America was giving an illustration and he just threw in a line at the end. This was a good boy that he knew turned bad. Now, I want you to think of someone with a great start in life. Someone with tremendous potential. They've got gifts, they've got looks, they've got personality, they've got wealth, but in the end their life has fallen apart. It has ended in tears and in ruin. Now, we could all think of famous people, couldn't we? Footballers, rugby players, in the snooker world, actors and actresses. People who have started out well. They've got great gifts and talents. They, they have wonderful ability. Yet, in many of their lives, they've ended in tragedy. And we could name some, like Demi Moore, uh, Marie Osmond, Roy Orbison, just to name but a few. You see, many had their life, in a sense, blew up all around them. Booze, loose living, drug abuse, gambling, immoral lifestyle. You see, it's all sad, isn't it? It's all so tragic. And we, we've read about it in the newspapers. We, we, we've heard it on the news bulletin. Now, I believe, of course, that the saddest of all is when it happens in the life of a professing Christian or in the life and witness of the professing Christian church. Let's think of this illustration. I want you to think of a young man. He's converted in his early teens. It's evident that he loves Jesus Christ. He's got gifts and talents. He looks good, certainly a lot better than me. He's got good power of oratory. He's been well educated, and he's converted now. He wants to serve the Lord. He goes into Bible college. He trains for the pastorate, and there he meets a very attractive young woman. Uh, she's very pretty. She's also got great gifts and talents. She's very musical, and they get married. He then graduates. He's then ordained into a little church in Los Angeles. They grew out of the first building, Second building was erected, 500-seater. It's packed. Two services every Sunday. Great. Things are good. After a few years, the deacons discover the pastor is using the church building for his private counseling work. The church office, well, that's not really a big problem. He should have discussed it with them. 
helping the church. Then it was discovered he's charging uh, some money for this counselling work. Again, no big problem. He should have been up front and told them as deacons and elders and give a portion of that to the church for the office, etc., etc. But then another problem arose. He was channeling the fees that he was getting from the backs of the people through a youth fund labelled for young people. And that was, of course, with the purpose to avoid paying tax. And he was confronted. And, of course, he lost his temper. And he, he blew his top. And there had to be a vote of confidence in the church. And, of course, the pastor won the vote of confidence by a very narrow majority. But, sadly, many people were not happy and they left the church short time later. This is a true story, by the way. Pastor Cole told this story, and at the end he wrote, a good boy turned bad. He, he was a young man in the church when it happened. And he, he went on to say, short time after that incident, he left the ministry. He went into full-time counseling. Then he left his wife and five young children and moved in with a younger model, as one does, a divorcee who came for counseling. He started drinking alcohol. He started gambling. He, he, he married the girl that he left his wife for. And then in the passage of time, she left him because he had lost his home in a gambling debt. He's no longer attending church. He's a former church pastor. And you see, Northern Ireland has had its share of pastors who have gone AWOL, who have left their wife and run off with the organist. We could name some. We could talk tonight about pastors who have defrauded the church funds. Have you heard the latest? I say this with sadness. Uh, Reverend Adrian McLaughlin, no relation of mine, I just want to point out. He's accused of abusing his position of stealing 10,000 from his church hospital fund. We could talk about the Reverend Bill Neely of Mount Marion Church of Ireland, who was accused of abuse allegations with wee boys. And the list could go on. And you know what's tragic? And I want to tell you it's so sad. But I want to tell you as well, it's sinful. And it stinks to high heaven. And I remember the late Colin Peckham, who was the principal of the Faith Mission Bible College when I was there. He used to say, but there, but for the grace of God go I. And he added this, woe unto me, Lord, for I too am a man. We're going to ask the question tonight, how is it possible that you can have a most promising start, make a profession of faith, have amazing gifts, display great zeal, and then something happens, you're tripped up, and you're fallen in sin, and of course a lot of people have got hurt. Worst of all, there's no repentance. There's no turning back to the Lord, there's no remorse, there's no shame. And the questions left, did this individual ever have a new heart? Were they ever really born again of the Spirit of God? You see, that's the story of King Joash, a good boy turned bad. He was the boy that was taken from the royal nursery by his aunt Jehoshabeth, sister to Queen Athaliah. Athaliah, remember, was a notoriously wicked woman who murdered her own grandchildren so she could become queen. Jehoshabeth was married to Jehoiada the priest. And they raised Joash secretly in the temple, a boy with great potential. 
A boy whose life was preserved providentially under the care of God. A boy whose life was spared from death as a baby. A boy who was raised by these godly parents. A boy crowned king when he was age seven. A boy who was taught and trained up by the godly Jehoiada the priest. And all the days of Jehoiada, his life and witness had an impact upon Joash. Because we read, Joash did right in the sight of the Lord. But listen to me carefully. When Jehoiada died, this is what we read in 2 Chronicles 24, 15. But Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died. 130 years old was he when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward good God and toward his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them. The leaders of Judah, they tempted Joash. He listened to them. He abandoned the old past, the old truths. He turned away from the house of God. He fell into idolatry. He resisted the call of the prophets. Do you know he murdered his cousin in the temple? Who confronted him for his sin and wickedness? He was the very son of Jehoiada the priest who had raised him up. This was a most wicked, dirty deed. God's wrath was aroused. A small Syrian army attacked Judah and Jerusalem. They were permitted to overcome and win the day. Princes were killed. Joash is eventually left wounded and diseased, I believe, through Septus. And in the end, his own servants come into the royal bedchamber and conspired against him and murdered him in his own bed. He died when he was aged 47. The Bible tells us he was not buried among the kings of Judah. Now, now let's learn something of how a good boy turned bad. Three things. He failed to remember his spiritual privileges. If you go back there to chapter 22 of 2 Chronicles, we read with me verses 11 and 12. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah and stole him from among the king's sons that were slain and put him and his nurse in the bedchamber. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she slew him not. And he was with them, hid in the house of God six years, and Athaliah reigned over the land. You see, Joash was blessed with many unique, wonderful privileges. The hand of God was on his life in a unique way. He was spared when his brothers were sentenced to death. Why was he saved? At one year old, he had nothing to do with it. He wasn't crying out of the royal crib, pick me. He had no hand in it. We could say that Joash was a saved boy from the point of death. And maybe tonight you're listening to me and early in your life you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as people look at you, people say, there's a saved boy. That boy's been rescued by the grace of God. That boy's been redeemed to be the Lord's. And as you make a profession and have made that profession in your boyhood, you, you adhere to the things of God. You see, someone has said to me recently, uh, a most annoying thing, and it was this. It's not how you start. 
but how you finish that's important. Now, that may be true in some things, but it's not true in a real spiritual sense. Because the Christian race must be started at the right place. And that right place is with Christ, the foot of the cross. Remember the Bible says, Acts 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. It's not the church that saves, it's Christ. So if you start with the church, well, you're not going to end right. You start with Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. How do you become a Christian? You see, that's fundamental, isn't it? That's important. It's important that you start right. If you want to end right, then you must start right. This boy was not only saved, that was one of his spiritual privileges, but he was selected. Why did a godly aunt lift him and run with him to spare his life? I believe it was the purpose to raise him up in the way of the Lord so that she could preserve a royal seed, the royal seed line of David. That boy's aunt was, as I've said, Jehoshabeth. She was the daughter of the wicked king, Jehoram. She was sister, too, to wicked Athaliah, a sister of her wicked brother, King Ahaziah. Jehoshabeth and Jehoiada, they risked their life for this boy. Could you imagine them hiding him for six years in a room in the temple along with his nurse? If they had been found out, they would have been put to death on the spot. They were not his real parents, not biological parents. And for six years, they acted as supportive, caring parents. They didn't abuse the boy physically. They didn't abuse him verbally. They didn't abuse him mentally. They, they didn't usurp the boy's authority. They, they didn't say, look, we, we'll rule in your stead to your 18. No, this boy, we could say, really was brought up with these spiritual privileges. The privileges of a Christian home. If you look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 2, it says, And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. See, this boy learned to do right in the sight of the Lord. And how many privileges have Christian children today? They've been placed in homes with saved fathers and mothers. That's a gift of God. And at their mother's knee, they, 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 they were uh, listening to and taught the Bible verses. And little songs were sung when they were on their knee. And prayers were offered. And then after they come out of the, the baby state, that they're brought to the children's meeting, the Sunday school, the youth fellowship, the, the Sunday services. And when they're teenagers, they're, they're taken to the house of God. What a great privilege. It should never be taken for granted. We should thank God that parents taught us the word of God and, and brought us under the sound of the gospel so we get a, a knowledge of who God is and heard the word of God preached. And I believe that this aunt, Jehoshabeth and Jehoiada the priest, had a big influence and a big impact on his life. And maybe it's a relative that has a big impact in your life, an aunt, an uncle. Maybe it's a mother, a father, or a granny. And they have had a profound influence. And you were doing what was right in the sight of the Lord because of their influence. You can thank God tonight that you were born into a Christian home. 
that you were not born into a Buddhist home or born into a Muslim home or born into the Irish Republic, into a, a Roman Catholic home. Do you know that in Tibet, there's not one Christian church anywhere? I know there's some born into pagan homes. And they can testify, well, my parents abused me. My parents were drunk and into drugs. And my parents divorced. And they never went to church and read the Bible to me, talked about God, brought me under the influence of the house of God. But those that are in Christian homes, they've got great spiritual privileges. Brought to the house of God. Introduced to the Christ of God. On the day of God. Learning the word of God. And of course, we're, we're thankful that there's many good churches today. And those churches are trying to be faithful to the blood in the book. And what a wonderful thing it is that we're free to worship. And what a wonderful thing it is we have a multiplicity of Bibles. And what a wonderful thing it is we have the radio and the internet. And we even now have an online congregation as well as an in-house congregation. See, see, many blame their parents, their upbringing, their strictness, their culture, their environment. Some harken back to things that have happened in the past. Some want to blame God. But it's a failure to recognize and submit to God's providence. That's what this young man failed to do. He forgot that he was saved as a baby. He forgot that he was selected to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. He forgot the sacrifices that were made. Notice something else. You see, Josiah demonstrated early in his spiritual life that he had a zeal for the things of God. Look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 4. And it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. And of course, there's many references. You even think of verse 12, the words, to mend the house of the Lord. It's, it's repeated in the chapter. You see, he was being a very practical individual. He, he put feet to his prayers. He got this big chest, we call it a collection box. And uh, Josiah was the instigator behind this move. The money was not coming in fast enough. The Levites didn't seem to be in any hurry. Jehoiada the priest didn't seem to be in any hurry to spend the money that was coming in. The house of God needed to be repaired. And there seemed to be no urgency. And, and Joash, he sensed this. So, so he confronted Jehoiada the priest. And this took place in the 23rd year of his reign. When he was age 30. You see, at that age, he had a zeal for the things of God. He was full of enthusiasm for the Lord's work. He probably looked upon Jehoiada as an old man. He was thinking, has the fire gone out? Has he lost the zeal? Why is he not repairing the house of God quicker? You see, his enthusiasm was channeled in the right direction. It focused on the things of God. And young people... The youth of the church have a zeal for the house of God. And we need this. Remember the Lord Jesus? Zeal for thine house hath eaten me up. And we need young people who are zealous and enthusiastic and focus on the things of God and the house of God. Many have left their first love. Many have lost this zeal. Many are no longer zealous for the work of God and the cause of Christ. See, young people are full of ideals, full of energy. And they've got zeal for serving the Lord. High school, junior high, university, the workplace, and then the church. But the problem with Josiah was this. While he was full of zeal for the things of God, 
he failed to build on a proper foundation, which is Jesus Christ. He he failed to properly maintain a walk with God. He was busy serving. He was busy doing things, building the temple. But it was all outward. He forgot that with the outward, there has to be an inward reality. You see, people don't see the heart. But the Lord sees the heart. He comes to the young and he says, my son, give me thine heart. Through Peter, we can hear the words, thine heart is not right in the sight of God. Joash's heart wasn't right. It had no inward reality. There was a failure to walk and talk with God every day. There was a failure to say no to sin. There there was a failure to uh, deal with sinful lusts and sinful thoughts. He, he didn't flee youthful lusts. There was a failure in the lack of personal holiness, a failure in the lack of loving obedience, a failure in the lack of prayer and trust in the Lord and turning to him. Is that true of you tonight? The second thing he did was he failed to recognize Satan's plan. Here was another reason why the good boy turned bad. If you look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 2, we read, And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Notice these words, all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Link it up with verse 15. But Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died. And 130 years old was he when he died. Look at verse 17. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. Notice these words. Then the king hearkened unto them. Verse 18. And they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves. You see, whenever Jehoiada died, Joash failed a real, or faced a real spiritual test, and he failed that test. The officials of Judah, they, they waited and waited. Jehoiada eventually died, and Joash was vulnerable. The old man is dead. Let's act now. Let's gain his acceptance. Let's get his approval for what we want to do. Let's remember to come in with adoration. And and they they did it, as the Bible tells us here, with obeyance in the verse 17. We're not told what they actually said to the king, but we read in verse 17, Then the king hearkened unto them. You see, Jehoiada's godly leadership was gone. And he had provided wise leadership and good leadership. And while he was alive, there was a, and a supreme value put in the things of God. Of course, he was very shrewd. In Second Chronicles chapter 23 and verse 16, we read these words. And Jehoiada made a covenant between him and between all the people and between the king that they should be the Lord's people. You see, Jehoiada was responsible for leading the people in revival. God's word was emphasized. And the first thing that the king did was the house of God was repaired. And the cause of God was set forth. And the the, the worship of God through the shedding of the blood of the animal, it, it, it was now back in course. What was going to happen now? Was that going to continue? No, it was going to be reversed. And that's what happened. The devil was at the back of it. He's not stupid. He's not impetuous. He's in for the long haul. And he can come back for a time and hit again. Remember what Moses said. Listen to these words in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 31 verse 29. For I know that after my death ye will utterly corrupt yourselves and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. 
And evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Remember, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But when the death of Jehoiada came, there was a day that was needed to stand firm, to stand true to the old past and the old church. And what did you do now? Instead of going on spiritually with the Lord and standing firm and walking with God, the princes of Judah came and they had a talk with them. And there was a deconstruction process going on. Can you hear them? You need to modernize. You need to be like the people of the groves. We want to be up to date, King Joash. We want to be friendly neighbors toward them. We want to have an accord with them. We want to be like them. You see, it's not the same old argument today. We need to be like the other churches. We need to be like the world. We need to be people of influence. We need people of our own age. You see, this was all bad advice. This was bad influential advice. And he refused good advice. Jehoiada did good during all the days of his life. And Joash was fine as long as he was alive and as long as he was around. But the moment he died, he failed the spiritual test. And he failed to recognize Satan's plan in the test. You see, Satan tonight has a plan for you young people. And here's a question. You need to be strong in your faith toward Jesus Christ. You need a personal walk with God. You need to have a hatred for sin. You need to have a quest for a holy life. You see, we're prone to ride in the back of parents. We're prone to ride in the back of influential people and influential pastors. But once they're gone, our Christian life, our spiritual life can fall apart. And even the life and witness of the church can fall apart. This is what happens very quickly. The house of God becomes commonplace. You ever heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt? This young boy grew up in the temple, hid there for six years. The seventh year, he was crowned king. He, he then repaired the temple, and yet he ended up profaning this very temple. It, it became almost irrelevant to him. He lost the sense of the worship of God. They lost the sense of the awe and wonder of who God is and, and how God can be approached. Is the house of God not just commonplace for the third and fourth generation of free Presbyterians? Did we not used to flock to little barns and hen houses and, and, and meeting houses when we had no fancy buildings and they were packed? And now we have got better facilities. There's a lot of empty seats. I'll tell you something else about Joash. He chose to experiment with sin. You see, I believe he obeyed Jehoiada all the days of his life. But when he died, these princes of Judah came. You need to be your own boss. The old man's gone now. You need to be open to alternative forms of worship. Are we not all God's children? Are the children of the groves not God's children too? And he fell for it. He opened himself and his mind and heart to the appeal of idolatry. You can do what you want now. Do what you like now because you're the king. Do you know many who are raised in godly homes and in those godly homes sins are off limits. Getting drunk, fornication, smoking, cursing, drugs, pornography. Then they leave home and go to university. It's a whole different world out there. 
These things are set in front of them. There's temptation. You don't know what you're missing. Try and see. You might even like it. You're only young once, but it's all Satan's lie. If you choose to experiment with sin, sin's like a poison. It'll end up destroying you. What about the danger of being ungrateful? Is that not a sin? He forgot the sacrifices and kindness of Jehoiada and his wife. He didn't really appreciate it. And how many young people don't appreciate the Christian home that God has gifted to them? Could you imagine if you had pagan parents abused you, and there are some like that, and into drugs and drink? What have you been brought into a Buddhist home or, or, or a Muslim home or a Hindu home? You know, so many do not appreciate the spiritual privileges they have been given. And they, they fail to see Satan's plan to trip them up and destroy them. And once you have a common mindset toward the house of God and the cause of God and begin to experiment with sin and become ungrateful and, and bitter and stubborn and rebellion then you can be turned. Let me close with this thought. He failed to repent of sin's power. Look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 22. It says, Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, now notice these words, The Lord look upon it. And require it. Is that not contempt? This young man listened to bad advice. These princes of Judah had a bad influence upon him. And what did he end up doing? He murdered Jehoiada's son in cold blood. Jehoiada's son, Zechariah, had come and said, You've forsaken the Lord. You've forgotten his law. You need to repent and get right with God. Listen to these words in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 19. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not give ear. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, which stood above the people, and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandment of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper, because ye have forsaken the Lord? He hath also forsaken you. Notice these words. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king. Where did it take place? In the court of the house of the Lord. Do you see? Here's the way this young man died. They stoned him to death. Where? It was in the court of the house of the Lord. Why? Because, because they hated him. And here's the point tonight. Sin, remember, will take you further than you want to go. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. And sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. This young man and others were given opportunity to repent of his sin. They got repeated warning after warning. And so have you tonight as I finish. You see, God in grace doesn't leave us in our sin. He, he deals with us in mercy. He brings into our life preachers of the word of God. Passing in open air, maybe somebody hands you a tract, somebody gives you an invitation to the house of God, a gospel mission. He might bring the death of a loved one into your family. It might be some disaster. It, it, it might even be some disease to get us to repent. 
You see, there's a big failure, sadly, in the hearts and lives of many in relation to repentance. God says, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? But they fail to hate. They, they fail to repent of sin's power, and they reap the consequences. He forsook the Lord, and the Lord forsook him. He murdered a man, and he too was murdered in his own bed, a man with a great beginning. Spiritual privileges. But Satan had a plan for his life. And he failed to repent of sin's power. He had a tragic end. Now let me ask you as I finish, how will you end tonight? Did you know that Joash is king? If you read very carefully the genealogy of Jesus Christ, it's recorded in Matthew and recorded in Luke, three kings are not mentioned. And Joash is one of them. It's as if his name was blotted out. This king was wounded in battle in this small Assyrian attack against Judah and Jerusalem. I believe his wounds turned septic. And his people, advisors, turned against him and murdered him in his own bed. How will you end tonight? Will you end your days with your name blotted out? Not in the Lamb's book of life. And when that book is opened, your name is not there. Because you failed to recognize your spiritual privileges. You failed to recognize Satan's plan in your life. And you failed to repent of sin's power. A good boy turned bad. May the Lord of mercy, may the Lord apply his word even in a real saving way tonight.